Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the Gospel of John. And now we're looking at the sacrifice of Jesus, John chapter 18 and 19. And we pray that your the Holy Spirit will do its illuminating work and help us to understand that we may apply the things that we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, this word to die is in John 19, verse 30. And the English translation translates that word, it is finished, to telestai. So when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. That's an accounting term. It was used in the Greco-Roman world to stamp bills as paid in full. And that is what Jesus did for us when he died. The quarterly leaves out verses 1 through 27 of chapter 18. I'm going to point out just a couple of verses in that section. This is when Jesus was arrested. Look at verse 6, chapter 18, verse 6. There were guards, they were armed, Judas was with them, and they were asking for Jesus. In verse 6, it says, So when he, Jesus, said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus is powerful, and they sensed that. He said, I am he. They fell down. That's the natural response of men to God. You fall down. In verse 9 is a fulfilled prophecy. The prophecy was in John 17, verse 12, where Jesus said, While I was with them, I was keeping them, the uh, disciples, in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So here in verse 9, it says, This was to fulfill the word which he spoke, of those whom you have given me I lost not one. And then the other part in this uh, section is Peter's denials of Christ. And you find that in verse 17, in verse 25, and in verse 27. And that was prophesied by Jesus back in John 13, 38. So earlier that same evening, he told Peter, who after Peter had said, I will die with you, Lord. And he said, no, before the rooster crows three times, you will betray me. And so another fulfilled prophecy. Again, all these fulfilled prophecies are why we believe the Bible is true. It enhances our faith. Section A, Jesus is questioned by Pilate, verses 28 through 40. You know, this was probably the most unjust trial in history. There were a lot of trials that evening, you know, a couple of religious trials, two or three. I think there were six. I can't, I'm not sure if that is the number, but both religious trials and then civil trials, all of them were unjust. Verse 30 was, they answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, he would not have, we would not have delivered him to you. Those charges are not very specific, are they? He's an evildoer. An extreme lack of specificity of charges. And then verse 31, the whole idea was to get some way to put him to death. That's all they wanted, put him to death. He did claim to be the Messiah and God, but he also did have the credentials to back it up, which they didn't believe. So then in verse 33, they told Pilate, you know, we're not allowed to put him to death. So they changed the charges. You know, we just finished the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And the prosecution saw that it was losing and attempted to add some other charges to get a conviction. You know, it was that same sort of thing with uh, Jesus here. They changed the charges, and the charge was that he was challenging Caesar. 
In Luke 23, 2, about the same episode, it said, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And the Caesar, I think it was Tiberius Caesar at the time, was very jealous of rivals. He was paranoid, yeah. And uh, Pilate knew this. And so this was a moving argument for Pilate. Now, verse 36, Kingdom Now theologians have used this verse to say that the church is in the kingdom now. So what it says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So people say, okay, well, it's a spiritual kingdom. I think the better way to understand that passage is that Jesus came presenting the kingdom to the Jews, the physical, literal, earthly kingdom, because he was the king. He came, and if they had enthroned him, as they were directed to do in, uh, I believe it's in Deuteronomy 17, they were to enthrone the king of God's own choosing, the kingdom would have come. But in Matthew 12, you know, they'd rejected. So, when they rejected, the kingdom offer was postponed. It was removed, and that is why he's saying this. The kingdom for the Jews is not on the table right now. If it were, my servants would be fighting. Uh, since it is not, I'm here not as the king. I'm here as the savior. And so no one's going to fight, and I'm not going to fight. I'm going to lay down my life, even though, as we saw earlier, he had the power in himself to blow everything away, uh, but he was willingly laying down his life. We are not in the kingdom. We want to keep repeating that because most of the church says we are, and that's why the church turns to socialism and promotes socialism. Much of the church is doing that. So we want to be very careful about what we are about in the church. We are about the promotion of the gospel. We want people to be saved. We want to demonstrate the values of heaven in a world controlled by Satan. That, that's what we're here for. We're not here to build the kingdom. Jesus will do that himself. So then in verse 37, this is an interesting verse. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king, Jesus answered. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now doesn't that make you feel good? You hear his voice, you are of the truth. So yeah, everyone who is of the truth, that is, everyone who is sincerely seeking the truth, they will respond to Jesus because he is the truth. And then verse 38, this is interesting, and this is, goes on now today, and especially in our age. Pilate said to him, what is truth? That's called relativism. And relativism is everywhere today in our society, but it's not a modern idea. It's old as the hills. You know, biblical Christianity deals in absolutes black and white. And uh, nobody likes that. Everybody likes gray. We want gray, you know. And that that's one of the things that uh, frustrates people about Christians when they say things in black or in white. Yeah, gray lets you do what you want. That's a good question. What is truth? The truth is Jesus. He defines the truth. He says he is the truth. The things that he says and the things he points us to those are the things we follow, and that's the Word of God, basically. Okay, so that's section A. Now we'll go to section B. Jesus is sentenced by Pilate, 
uh, verses 1 through 16. It, it hurts you to read it, you know. I mean, how many times have we read this? But it's painful. It's painful to read. Verse 1 is a fulfilled prophecy, although it doesn't describe how he was scourged, right? Anybody see The Passion of the Christ? That's a pretty old movie now, but I think it was probably similar to that. Because, and the reason I say that is Isaiah 52, 14, says, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. They disfigured him. They beat him until he you couldn't recognize him. You know, Pilate seems to have had a streak of sadism in him because he kept saying, I will punish him and let him go. I will punish him and let him go. You know, what, what seemed to turn the tide with Pilate, he kept trying to say he's, you know, he's. I find no guilt in him until they started saying, he's saying he's a king. He's opposing Caesar. If you don't do something about this, you're no friend of Caesar. I think that scared Pilate. It was self-protection on his part. That is how we show that we're friends of God, when we obey. And I think the Lord will train us to on little things. But eventually, like with Abraham, he said, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's when Abraham's faith was mature, okay? Abraham's faith was mature at that time, and he was willing to do it, believing that God would raise him from the dead. And the Lord didn't put him, didn't make him go through it, but he was willing. And that I think that is what the Lord wants to form in all of us, a faith like that, that if the Lord says it, we know he's the Lord. We know he's right. We know he loves us. We will do it. And it takes time for you to develop into a mature faith. That's a mature faith. So in verse 2, first they beat him till you couldn't recognize him. And then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and put a purple robe on him, and then came up saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapped him in the face. So physical abuse then mockery associated with more physical abuse. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, even though there's no charges per se, crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. This is a demonically motivated crowd. And it's because of Genesis 3.15, where God spoke in the curse to the serpent, you know, the seed of the woman would oppose the seed of Satan, and uh, the seed of Satan would bruise him on the heel, but the seed of the woman would bruise him, Satan, on the head, yeah. crush his head. And that's the driving force behind anti-Semitism today, which is on the rise, and will reach a zenith in the tribulation. They'll want to destroy the Jews because Satan will know that he has to eradicate the Jews to stop them from calling their Messiah back. And he will try to do that. So yeah, then verses 10 and 11, Pilate said to him, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. That's the same thing John said, John the Baptist said. You can have nothing unless you receive it from heaven. And that's what Paul said to the Corinthians. What do you have that you have not received? That's why we shouldn't be proud of anything, because everything we have has been given to us. And for civil leaders, that includes their authority. And it's all, it also says that in Daniel 4, verse 17, and this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar speaking after he regained his senses. Remember, he went insane 
for seven years. God gave him grace because he gave him back his kingdom when he recovered from his insanity. But Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 says, this sentence, this was the sentence of insanity, is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes, and get this, and sets over it the lowliest of men. So when we see, we have leaders and we're like, that person is a bozo. The Lord does that on purpose. He sets in authority the lowliest of men for reasons that only he knows. I don't know. Civil authority is given by God. The people who are in authority have been given it by God. And that's why the Lord tells us to submit to them unless they counter him. So next, Jesus is crucified, verses 17 through 27. Yeah, verse 19, Pilate wrote an inscription, put it on the cross, Jesus the King, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Why do you think he did that? Yeah, I think he was poking at the Jews. And it shows, you know. And also, he wanted to know that everybody could understand, right? It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. <laughs> so whoever was there, if they came up, they could read one of those. So it enraged the first century Jewish leaders. The normal practice, crucifixion, they would just leave them there until they, like, rotted off. Pilate was there. He's trying to keep the peace. And the Jews have a prohibition of leaving someone hung on a tree overnight because it would contaminate the land to do that. And so they specifically asked for him to hurry it up so they would get him off. He was trying to appease these, you know, rabid chief priests and leaders because he was there to keep the peace. So, but then look at verse 23 and 24. The soldiers divided his garments, and then they cast lots for his tunic, which couldn't be divided. It was a single piece. And that is another fulfilled prophecy. Passion Week is filled with prophecy fulfilled. And this is another one, and it's from Psalm 22, 18. For my clothing they will cast lots. Psalm 22, 18 which was a thousand years before. This happened, written by King David. Verse 26, about Jesus taking care of his mother. Now, Jesus had brothers. Why do you think he didn't entrust his mother to his brothers? Jesus placed, and he did this earlier, the spiritual bond higher than the physical bond. Let's see, Matthew 12, verses 48 through 50. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And I find this to be true in practice. You know, your fellow church people. Many times we're much closer than your physical family because we share the Holy Spirit. And in John 7, verse 5, we're told that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. And they haven't believed in him up to this point on the cross. So he is entrusting his mother to someone who believes in him. 
who is, you know, I think it, it's John. It doesn't say specifically here, but I, I do believe that it was John was the one. And it says that from that time on, he took Mary into his own household. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, his brothers did believe. James, his half-brother, was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote the first New Testament book, the book of James, in AD 45, and also Jude. Jude was Jesus' half-brother as well. Um, he wrote another New Testament book much later. But at this time, his half-brothers were unbelieving. So his mother, to, I guess he gave her to him, to the disciple that he left. So we are our brother's keeper. That was the question that Cain posed. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> After he killed his brother. Yeah, you're, we're our brother's keeper. Okay, uh, section D, Jesus dies, verses 28 through 37. I'll go ahead and read that one. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Tetelestai. That is that word. Tetelestai. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So they're there asking, change their procedure. Hurry it up take him down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe." Okay, here again we're seeing the purpose of this book. This book is written so that unbelievers would believe. It's written to the unbelieving Gentile world. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. So again, we see some more fulfilled prophecies. Verse 28, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. That's Psalm 69, 21 where they offer you gall and vinegar to drink, Psalm 69, 21, from a thousand years before. Now, at this point, they didn't offer him the gall. Gall is like a, a drug, numbing. It's a little bit of mercy from the Romans. And earlier they'd offered him that. That's in Matthew and I think another one of the Gospels. And he didn't. He tasted it, and he didn't take it because he wanted to be clear. He wanted his mind to be clear. Here, I think he just take it. He took the vinegar so he could speak. Psalm 22 says, my tongue clings to the roof of my mouth. You know, you get so dehydrated that you can't even speak. That's, that's how you die, asphyxiation, because you can't breathe. <clears throat> and that's why they broke their legs, so that they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe. Hideous, just hideous. But to Telestai, the implications of that is so deep that, you know, it is finished. What? Is finished. The salvation of humanity from Adam to the last person born ever is finished right here. 2,000 years ago, 
And so that in the Bible, it can be written that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He died for every sin, every person that ever was born and ever will be born. Every sin. So that all you have to do is trust him. The Lord made it so easy. All you have to do is trust him and this huge debt that you build up over your life of sin that God requires a payment for is already paid. You just trust him and you go from hell to heaven in a nanosecond. That word to telestai is a big deal, paid in full. James talks about faith and works. And it seems like James denies Paul about this. That's why it is so important to understand how our salvation is set up. What is paid for here with belief alone is justification. That's your legal standing before God. So that is where we have been saved, and the penalty of our sin, the eternal penalty of our sin is gone, separated from the east from the west, infinite separation. As we live, we are being saved, and that is what James is talking about. He says, faith without works is dead. What does that mean? That does not mean your faith does not exist, because James is written to the believing. James is written to a group of already justified people. But we want to continue to believe the things Jesus says. Jesus has certain commands. He says, you are my friend if you obey the things I command you. That is what James is talking about there. If you believe for your justification and then you live as though you are an unbeliever. The classic example is Lot. After you have been saved eternally, then your faith is useless to promote God's work in the world. Does that mean you lose your salvation? No. You do not lose your justification. Does that mean you can lose things? Oh, yeah. You can lose a lot of things. You can lose your reputation. You can lose, you know, your job. You might lose your health. You lose your reward in heaven. You lose your authority in the next kingdom to come. Uh, you might lose your life. You will not lose your justification. So that is what Jesus has paid for here, tetelestai. And he has also, for those who are saved, they have the resources to go as far as what God wants them to go. All you have to do is when the Lord presents you with something, you say, yes, sir. That's all you have to do. And you have the power to do it. You know, before you're saved, number one, you never want to say yes, sir, to God. Say, get out of here. That's your stance. When you're unsaved, just get out of here. When you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you receive the new nature. The new nature is able to say, yes, sir, and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it. And that is how you keep from getting crushed when you're living the Christian life. The Christian life, if you do not utilize the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be crushed. I look in the Bible. The Bible tells me to do certain things. I say, yes, sir. And then I trust that the Lord will give me the power to carry it out. And what's interesting about that is that it's not a formula. Every person has something different that the Holy Spirit is saying, I would like you to do this. Every, because it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So it's a fascinating and exciting way of life. But every single person, every single person in the sound of my voice can be saved from hell. Put your trust in Jesus. Because the payment for every sin has been paid. Okay, and then verse um, 31 through 33 
they broke the legs of the two thieves because they were still alive. They came to Jesus. He was dead. They didn't have to break his legs. That is a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a fulfillment of the typology of the Passover lamb, which says that none of its bones are to be broken. And also Psalm 34.10. No, it's Psalm 34.20. I'm sorry. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. So then verse 34 one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Immediately blood and water came out. You know, there have been all sorts of theories about Jesus didn't die on the cross. He just passed out. That's the swoon theory. And uh, then he came to life, <laughs> or he revived in his grave clothes. In the, that, is, that is a theory. But this disproves that. His it says blood and water came out. What does that mean? The cell, the cell, cellular component of the blood was separating from the plasma, which means that there's no flow. You're dead, you know, and so blood and water comes out. He really was dead, and um, Zechariah 12.10 is uh, fulfilled here. In verse 37, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Quickly, we'll look at Jesus is buried, the last section, 38 through 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, look at these two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Both of them were on the Sanhedrin. Both of them were respected, and they were disciples of Jesus, but secretly. That's an indication that in their progressive walk of sanctification, after they were saved, after they were justified, they were early on. They had not yet, their faith had not yet grown to the point where they could publicly say, I follow Jesus. People's faith, like James talks about, is something that tends to, you know, it starts small. You're an infant. You're just saved. You're just born again. When you're first, especially if you lo like live in a Muslim country, are you going to come out and say immediately, I believe in Jesus, you know? Now, Paul did that. Paul did, he grew up fast. I mean, he grew up really fast. I don't think most people do that. Most people grow gradually in their faith as they follow the Lord, and they learn that he is to be trusted when they obey him. Paul, yeah, Paul is a special case, I think, man, because he was like a mature immediately. But most people are not like, I mean, even Abraham, Abram, when he was called, he believed, he, he came down, but then he went into Canaan. There was a famine in Canaan. Did the Lord tell him to leave Canaan? No. He said, well, I'm going to go to Egypt to fix this famine. He didn't trust the Lord. And what happened? Pharaoh took his wife into his harem. And so, but he learned from that because after, afterwards, when he came out, he came back and he worshiped the Lord, you know, and then he, he seemed to be a whole different person with the issue with Lot and the land. He said, wherever you go, I'll go the other way. He didn't care. 
if he got the good land or not. He's willing to trust the Lord. So he's growing in his faith. You know, Nicodemus' faith was growing because in chapter 3, he came in the dead of night to talk to Jesus. Now he comes with all this and he prepares his Jesus' body for burial. But there's one more prophecy fulfilled here in the burial. Isaiah 53, 9, he was buried with the rich at his death. In Jesus' name, amen.